As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have David Sia, Berkeley Haas MBA and associate at McKinsey & Company. David is an experienced business and technology professional with experience in energy, climate, and consulting. At Haas, David was part of many programs, including several MBA challenges and Berkeley Step, the Student Entrepreneurship Program. David, welcome and great to have you on the show. Hey, Chris. Excited to be here. I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast today. You know, we were classmates in the MBA program and, you know, just really excited to get to dive into your background and what your experience has been like. You know, I'll talk a bit about your background. You're one of the um, the rare few that was a triple major undergrad. So you had bachelor's in physics, undergrad physics at Loyola Chicago, and then you went to University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign and got, again, a mechanical engineering degree and mathematics degree. And then you even went to grad school before you came to Haas. You, you got an aerospace engineering degree at UC Davis before coming to the MBA program. You know, your experience is pretty unique. You know, you did industrial engineering, climate and energy at, at the Berkeley lab. You were at a startup at Olivine, and then now you're at McKinsey. You know, it kind of goes to that saying, but where did you grow up, David? And where did your amazing story of just really awesome things begin growing up as a kid? Yeah, thanks so much for that. Very nice, very charitable intro there. I really appreciate that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my origin story. Well, I, you know, the way I like to start it is, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a undocumented immigrant Filipino family in Chicago. And so I think that really growing up, I think in an immigrant household in general kind of shapes or shapes my relationship with change or with challenges. I think it really uh, made me good and comfortable with rolling with the punches, dealing with ambiguity and, and challenging myself. Grew up, uh, I think, really different than a lot of folks that I interact with now, both at McKinsey and I think at Haas. And I shared a double mattress with my, my younger brother till I was like 10 or 11 and in the same room with my parents. So I'm not saying like it was super tough or anything. I think that's like a mischaracterization, but I, and, and honestly at the time, I didn't know any better. It felt good. It felt fun. Like, Hey, we're all here. But I do think it, it's, it's very different than I think a lot of folks that I meet these days. And I do think it frames how I see challenges and I, I, I see the world. And I, if you would have asked me uh, when I was in high school, would this happen? I would have, I, or would I have had this trajectory? I would have been like, no, you're crazy. That doesn't sound right. And also like, I didn't think beyond like the next step when I was in high school. Like my idea was, okay, my, you know, my pops works at at this college, I'm going to go to, to Loyola because, hmm. because he works there. And that was like as far as I'd planned it out. So it's been like a really interesting journey. And I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah, David, that's an amazing background. And it's we we're just commenting before we started recording. It's all these stories that we never even get to talk about when we're in class together um, that really just, you know, looking back on it, just really do make the experience so rich. You kind of hinted at it. You go from growing up and being a kid to, you know, one, one of the biggest uh, first kind of experiences is thinking about going to college and even thinking about what you're majoring. 
what was that like for you, you know, transitioning from kind of being a kid in your family and then now like for you specifically, I mean, you just hit the ground running. You, you studied physics, mechanical engineering and math uh, all in undergrad and, and graduated. What was that experience like? And what was it like choosing two institutions? Because you went, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, both to Loyola, Chicago and also Urbana-Champaign for college. Uh, what was that like? And how did you, what were you thinking about when you were going through that process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, in high school, I didn't really plan like anywhere past college. So when I got to college, I was like, well, okay, you know what do I do here? My parents being stereotypical immigrant parents, they were like, okay, you want to study nursing or be a doctor. Uh, and like, I was nominally doing that, but I was really more interested in history because it was the way I was really interested in stories and the way that people's lives are impacted and the way the, the reason things are the way they are, essentially. And so I was nominally pre-med, but I was really taking a bunch of history classes. But really, I was just goofing off my freshman year. I, I didn't really take college very seriously at all. And uh, I was more just enjoying the lifestyle, being in dorms, being around with a bunch of my peers. For um, sure. And then so sophomore year was when I really started to get serious. I thought about, you know, history. The reasons that I liked it was, you know, understanding things the way they are. But I, in my mind, it, you know, it wasn't very challenging and it, it, and it wasn't or that the career prospects weren't as good uh, in history. And so I went over to physics for the, that intersection of challenge and like potential career opportunities, which were still very vague. You know, I'm like 19 at the time. My brain is like only, you know, what, 80% of the way there in terms of a lot of uh, developing still to go. And, um, and uh, so at, when I was studying physics, I know actually this major isn't so great for making a, a living and having a job right afterward. You know, typically uh, you want to do like a PhD and that's kind of what my advisors were saying. And so it was like, you know, you either do a PhD and so in my mind, I'm okay, I'm broke till I'm like 30, which seemed like forever at that time. Uh, I'd love to be 30 again at this, <laughs> at, the, at this stage. So I, there was another route, which was uh, the dual degree. And that's how I ended up with engineering. And so that the, the dual degree was a partnership that Loyola Chicago had with uh, University of Illinois and a couple other engineering schools in the area. So I decided that that would be my way to essentially like be employable soon. And on the way there, uh, being in math and physics, I real or physics and mechanical engineering, I realized the math degree was you no know, like one or two electives off. And so I just kind of picked that up on the way um and it really it sounds like i spent i think like all of my time in the library and studying uh like doing all these majors but i had a great time uh i think both at loyola but especially at university of illinois i was to part of a bunch of student groups i even founded one and it was really a great formative time uh, i think early in my career that's awesome to hear david one of the things that i know kind of resonates in the minds of a lot of students is Okay, you got to school and then you have to graduate from school and then you're thinking, okay, what do I do after school? And it sounds like for you, you, you really kind of rapidly went through that process of, okay, you're at school, now you're enjoying school, and then you're thinking about leaving. What was it like even after accomplishing so much, having to now transition into the workforce? And what was that experience like for you trying to figure out and kind of maneuvering your first job or your early career as a professional? Yeah, yeah. So my early career was, was I think it was also a lot of more of the same. I wanted to do, well, actually, it, it was interesting graduating or it was kind of a tough time graduating into the recession. So I actually got my job offer uh, in early 2008, late 2007. I can't remember exactly. Um, but I graduated late to, or uh, I started in like fall 2008. 
So the Great Recession was like in, at its peak. And I, I was just really thankful, honestly, to have a job. I had a lot of great classmates who didn't have uh, a job and who, you know, would have to figure stuff out. And I had like friends who I knew were brilliant, who had like engineering degrees from this top university, but they're, you know, brand ambassadors or like doing all these like random jobs uh, that doesn't eat that, that didn't use the degree at all. So I was really thankful to be in a position where, you know, I had a job and by the way, I was making great money. Like I think at that time I was like making similar to income to my parents right out of undergrad, which was like, you know, amazing. And I think it was great. But also as time went on, I realized that I wasn't sure as say time went on, this is, you know, less than span of less than a year. I realized that the type of engineering I was doing and the, especially the product that I was working on, uh, which was industrial like mining equipment or uh, tractors, so ag equipment, so like big, heavy machines. They weren't necessarily where I wanted to spend like my whole career and really where my passion uh, lie. And so I kind of started to think about what's next and what do I want to do for the rest of my career. And so that's essentially what led me to first wind energy and, and working on climate. I think in terms of you know, how I made that decision, I go back to my, I want to understand why things are the way they are and, and how can I impact people. And I thought that at that time, it seemed clear to me that, that climate change would be, you know, one of the biggest challenge challenges of our generation. And, you know, I wanted to be there. I was already working on a climate adjacent product in automotive, but I really wanted to be at the bleeding edge of the tech. And so that's why I ended up pivoting from uh, what eventually Fiat to, to climate uh, or to wind energy in particular and going back to grad school at Davis. Yeah. And David, you were, as you were mentioning, you're from originally from Chicago and and going really far for grad school could be daunting for some. You know, what was that experience like for you? Because again, you had a great paying job. <laughs> you know, not maybe not as far away from family as you might be, you know, being out in California. You know, what what was going through your mind in terms of, hey, I wanted to go to grad school. And then how did you end up deciding eventually to go to UC Davis versus some of the other programs that might be out there? Yeah, yeah. I so I kind of glossed over a little bit of the early storyline. So that I was at Caterpillar originally, and I thought, okay, I don't think I really want to work on diesel, heavy, heavy uh, off-duty or heavy-duty off-highway diesel, you know, my career. And so then I took some time, and I I actually day traded for a while uh, mm -hmm. around 2009 in between Caterpillar and Fiat. And at that time was really where I started thinking about what I wanted to do. And I ended up actually deferring a year from Davis to get more uh, work experience prior to getting my master's. So that was my time at VIA. And I think in that time, I was really, there's a lot of things that, that drew me to Davis. Uh, I think the, first of all, the focus of the group that I was going into was kind of novel turbine designs. And I really wanted to be on like a bleeding edge of that tech because, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is how I can make things better. If I can design a marginally better, you know, wind turbine blade, I can make this process like, you know, X percent efficient, more efficient and drive the cost down a little bit more and make position easier. So that that's kind of like what I was thinking. And it was, that was part of it. So I liked the group. I liked the school. And then I also liked the environment. I had been in Chicago for forever and for the Midwest for my whole life. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for something different. And obviously, you know, the lack of winter 
also so really appealed to me. And it was kind of the those things. I, I like the subject matter and I felt like I visited the campus. It seemed California twist on Urbana Champagne. So it felt familiar in a way. And so that's what I did. And that made the decision easy. And it was definitely a really scrappy move. I, I piled like everything I owned into my, you know, 97 Saturn sedan <laughs> and uh, made the three-day trek out West. And you know, I had a great, absolutely great time at Davis. I met so many great people and really, you know, learned a lot, even though I actually never ended up working in wind directly. Uh, I ended up pivoting again once I got to Davis, ironically enough. Dude, that's awesome to hear. And, and it just kind of shows like that scrappiness. You know, one of the things maybe a lot of house folks are, know you for is you spent a number of years at a very prestigious place after after grad school, the Berkeley Lab. Could you talk a bit about you know, what you were doing there and you know what the lab is generally, maybe for folks who aren't as familiar of what the lab does? Absolutely. Yeah. So after Davis, uh, what brought me to Berkeley was uh job at Berkeley Lab. So as I mentioned, I pivoted away from wind because I wanted to be more impactful. I realized that those, you know, couple percents of efficiency improvement designing a turbine better were actually, you know, a lot tougher to achieve than, than I thought. And also there wasn't as much appetite for, I shouldn't say appetite for innovation. I, I mean, the gap from like a lab improve, improvement in the lab to uh, something in the field happening, you know, maybe even like on the order of 10 years. So that was something that uh, I wanted to be in more, more impactful sooner. So that brought me to building energy, which is something that Berkeley Lab is absolutely one of the best institutions in the world. Uh, honestly, I didn't think they would call me back uh, when I applied there. I was doing research in lighting at UC Davis and there just happened to be like a relatively good overlap with what I was working on and what I was interested in with Berkeley Lab or what, sorry, what I was working on with, and what the folks at Berkeley Lab were interested in. And so I came over. And so what Berkeley Lab is, it's a national laboratory. It's funded mostly or almost exclusively by the, uh, I guess other folks, individuals, within the lab, it might get funding from other places, but it's mostly a DOE funded lab. And what my group was working on in particular was uh, energy efficient appliances, energy efficiency standards uh, related to those appliances. Not to get too deep here, but as part of the first oil crisis in, in the 1970s, Congress in, enacted a bunch of laws about you know, energy efficiency. Uh, it's called EPCA. And my group was the one who did the techno-economic analysis around what those standards should be. So like fun nerdy case in point was Stephen Chu, energy secretary under Obama in 2008, this is before my time there, came to the lab and said, hey, like what if we made a, a heat pump minimum efficiency standard? So basically man mandated back then, 10 plus years ago, that all heating, space heating equipment would be uh, heat pumps. Like what would that look like? And so like my group and was the one who crunched numbers and said, okay, here, here's what would happen and like this is so it was a really great time i landed there and i felt like wow everybody is like so crazy smart so much smarter than me there's you know there's a phd from mit sitting next to me on this other side there's a harvard uh phd in physics like uh, there's a nobel prize winner like down the hall uh it was like a really crazy place to be and it was great to be surrounded by folks who were uh so smart and also so focused on something that was you know, a net positive for society. Everybody here was there was working on, you know, climate change and, you know, in the national lab when, you know, presumably a lot of these folks like the Harvard PhD or 
MIT, PhD, I mentioned, they could have been out conquering the world and making so much more money than, than you make at a national lab. But they were doing the, you know, they were there, I think, because they wanted to make the world a better place. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, David, you know, for a lot of people, even just maybe ending up at the lab or being exposed to that type of environment would have been a dream. But you decided, you know, even after being at the lab to come to the MBA program, what was it like? You know, what were you thinking about, you know, even thinking about getting an MBA post already having so much success and kind of what was that thought process for you, especially as you're thinking about it and then going through that application process for the MBA program? Yeah, an MBA had always kind of been in my radar, but to go back to like 2014 when I started at the lab, you're right, it was pretty far from my mind. But, and I got to do some great things. I got to lead a project, DOE got to interact with industry CEOs, but in 2016, the administration changed hands. And so being at a DOE funded lab, working on energy efficiency and kind of this more like kind of progressive left stuff, left, politically left, it wasn't there wasn't as much opportunity there. Uh, essentially, we got my group unofficially got got mothballed, uh, where you know we were still paid and we're still like it, it's not like we all got fired, but uh, we weren't allowed to do any work. And energy efficiency rulemaking were stopped, and we also weren't allowed to publish papers. It was kind of a weird, interesting time uh, because you know all of a sudden I, when so when the election happened, my group was actually prepared for a bunch of people to get laid off and our funding to get cut. But what actually happened was that didn't happen. We just, we were still funded, but they weren't able to do any work. So, you know, a lot of people, at first it was great. You know, you have the steady paycheck and, you know, essentially a vacation. And a lot of people did literally just that. Take <laughs> take a year, travel through Asia. Uh, I spent a year in Asia and, uh, or people, a bunch of people had a bunch of kids. But I think while I was in Asia, I was in Japan and I kind of had to think, is this, Am I going to stay, make it a career here, essentially? At the time, it wasn't clear what would happen in 2020. You know, would, would this be my life until 2024? And I would essentially commit to being you know, a career scientist or scientific engineer. And I invested in the pension, which makes me feel like I'm a thousand years old, but I invested in the pension <laughs> and, you know, I could just comfortably ride it out until, until it's time to retire. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, ultimately, I got an MBA because I felt like it was relevant to the challenges that I would be addressing in the next phase of my career. And part of that was working with executive leadership and being a leader myself. And another part uh, is entrepreneurship. We haven't talked too much about entrepreneurship yet, and I'm still very much a entrepreneur, but that also played a big part in me wanting to do the MBA. I saw that uh, for the problems that my group at the lab was addressing, namely energy efficiency, uh, a big part of that solution probably wasn't in hard science, but maybe more around the business aspect, especially with respect to the energy efficiency paradox, which is essentially where people leave free money on the table when it comes to energy efficiency. So that was something you know, I wanted to test out in business school to figure out how to scale those climate technologies to address both climate change and also provide value to people in terms of savings and jobs uh, by aligning incentives and creating just the right nudges to unlock these huge markets that will only get more momentum over time. And yeah, so I came to campus in part to kick the tires on starting a startup in the space. Do your, your willingness to take risks and uh, question the status quo, which is one of the defining principles at, at Haas. Yeah. Can you explain what it was like you know, after you got the acceptance and then you had set your mind at, at being at Haas? And then 
what it was like when you jumped on campus and, and now you were a student in the business school. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. So I remember when I got the email, I was like walking to the bus stop early in the morning to go up to the lab. And I was like, wow, I can't believe they actually like let me in here. It was it was <laughs> it was great because like it was I think definitely the you know Davis University of Illinois, great institutions. But I feel like the MBA program at Haas in terms of prestige, it's just like another level. And I was really excited. And also like, okay, what am I getting myself into now? You know, I had done uh, a bunch of technical degrees and I had kind of tended to index more towards the like communicator side of the technical space, but this is like a completely different space, like altogether, right? I'm going to like in the MBA space, there's, it, I think it's just a core skill set and personality types of me are great uh, from research and or engineering. And so, uh, but anyways, to answer your question, you know, what were the first days at campus like? It was great. Uh, I think we had Wheelie the, the first weekend, which was in July, which felt like super early. Um, yeah. But uh, we had Wheelie and it was really great to meet, you know, so many different people from with so many people with so many different backgrounds uh, yeah. from my own and, and from each other. It was also there's a lot more, I think, international, especially diversity than than I I had like thought going in, I didn't realize like how close it'd be from a lot of different places. And I really think the that that exposure to different industries, different backgrounds is something that I really value like straight away. And uh, I think that's remained true throughout the uh, the process. So I did realize that I, I wanted to stay in private at that time. So I did a little bit of background and I hadn't been go, showing up to Berg stuff the Berkeley Energy Resource Collective, that's the, the kind of the energy club at Haas, or the more like the clean or climate tech club at Haas. Uh, I'd been going to that stuff prior to even being accepted. And I also was familiar with the Berkeley Innovative Solutions, which is a climate a pro bono, mostly or somewhat climate focused consulting organization through BIS, I was able to take like a one credit course consulting with a climate tech startup. And, you know, as part of that, I got to work closely with leadership and uh, meet the CPO and the director of engineering. So like, that kind of stuff was really cool. And and I really, I think I hit the ground running, as you mentioned, and like signed up for all this stuff. You know, my very first semester, I think when, when a lot of folks were still kind of like, you know, figuring out core. And yeah. so I think that- Or just that, how to get to campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like where to live, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like there's, and so I think I was lucky in that I was, you know, I'd been in Berkeley five years prior since 2014. And so I already felt situated. I felt like I knew the lay of the land, you know, from day one or at least semester one, I was like, okay, now I want to do this, this, and this. And also uh, STEP, the mm-hmm. entrepreneurship program at Berkeley. I also led team my first uh, semester. And yeah, I, I think I was in a uniquely good position in that I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the lay of the land. And so I could just focus on like doing stuff as opposed to like figuring out it out. A lot of folks did uh, that the first semester. Yeah. David, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, you know, when we were classmates, I mean, you were definitely the clean energy, you know, one of the clean energy guys, you know, in, in the program. You're working at a startup. You're super involved on campus. And then eventually you, you ended up going to McKinsey, which surprisingly, actually, as you shared, is really related to all the things that you were doing even during the program. But what was your thought when you're going into the MBA process? Like, what did you think perhaps would be the end goal or the end accomplishment? And then you know, how did McKinsey kind of come into the picture as you were going through that process? Right. So the way that I thought about the MBA was, you know, not necessarily I want to get the MBA and these are the exit ops 
for an MBA and I want to pick this exit up and I'm going to spend all my time networking and going towards this specific job. It was more like, you know, I saw the MBA as a place to learn and to grow, you know, to be honest, soak up a little bit of that sweet, sweet prestige uh, that, you know, that Berkeley had. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was to learn and to grow. And so I focused on, on kind of those things that I was interested in. And I was like, okay, you know, trust the process. This is around the Joel and B time. <laughs> Trusting the process here. You know, if, if I just pursue my interest, things will work out. What happened was, you know, initially I was thinking, uh, so at my work, I made a pivot into product. As you do as an MBA engineer with an engineering background, I wanted to be, to, I, I still want, I wanted to, and I still do want to build stuff and uh, be close to engineering and use that background, but not necessarily be an engineer. And so that was kind of like my initial hypothesis. And I, I poked around in that space. And I think that there was a lot of good stuff, but a lot of, it was a lot of good stuff, honestly. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't go back to that place, but, you know, another thing that I started doing, and, and especially around the pandemic, with these case competitions, I think once COVID set in and we were essentially all remote and cut off, I felt like, okay, well, you know, I, I want to still get something out of this, this MBA process, and I don't want to just wait it out. Uh, I started getting involved in a lot of case competitions around the climate space. Uh, I had done a hackathon prior, prior to B-School, and, and it felt kind of similar, honestly. So I think I was kind of primed for that experience. And yeah, so that following what I was interested in, the uh, especially with regards to like climate and the case competitions, sort of led me down towards the consulting space, but I still wasn't there yet. This is now in like summer of 2021. I was thinking about new jobs and like I, the full-time roles I was considering offers for were both like climate product management startups essentially. And so that's still where I, I was at that time period. Now this is like two years into the MBA process. And I also ended up getting an offer from uh, Google X to work in their internal consulting, cross crowding strategy department, essentially. So it was an internal consulting group for all of their uh, like climate, early stage climate projects. And, you know, Google X, you know, a dream opportunity, easy call, right? So I joined Google X as an MBA intern, kind of more like a full-time MBA trajectory now. I initially had thought that I was, well, internships weren't really on my radar at that time, but... I saw it pop up for through being on the program. And I thought, what the heck, this sounds cool. And so I ended up taking that role. And that was another time where, or in that role, I really felt, okay, I, I got to interact with a bunch of folks who were like, my boss was from Bain. The lead of X project was from McKinsey. And I, I, even uh, one of the startup, the folks at Olivina Sarif I was at was from McKinsey. And there was a bunch of those kinds of people that I was starting to interact with. And I was starting to see this comment they're like okay these people are in leadership positions and they have like x y and z skills that they're good at and you know i those are things that i want to be good at essentially and so that's when mckinsey uh or consulting space became more and more real to me as i, I realized this is something that you can develop in the space and i was coming you know initially from a growth mindset as well and so it felt like natural to kind of extend the MBA. I've heard other people put it by going to a place like McKinsey. You know, I can extend the MBA, work on these skills that I want to develop. And, you know, instead of 
paying, you know, what we pay at Haas, I would actually get paid for it and be able to live kind of a normal, well, as normal as consulting is, like a normal life uh, as opposed to, you know, this, you know, going to school, going to work thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, David, what was that like, you know, the, for folks who aren't familiar, you know, one of the draws at Haas is just, you know, the recruiting process is there are just so many opportunities and it's literally the difficulty isn't, do you have an opportunity? It's like, which ones are, are you going to focus on and just do? So what was that like finally identifying, okay, you want to go um, into consulting, you know, you want to go at McKinsey and then, you know, you've been in the role for, you know, just a few months now, you know, what was that experience like once you onboarded versus maybe some of your perceptions coming from business school and then going to, to McKinsey? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at the time when I got the McKinsey offer, to be honest, I was still not like really taking it as seriously. You know, I was like, oh, I, I can learn all these things. But well, I shouldn't say that I was taking it seriously, but like I was it was so like out of left field. I wasn't like focused on consulting. It was more like, you know, I OK, I went this way because I could learn and to grow. But like, do I really want to do this? It is like what I was thinking uh, at the time, because, you know, I was at Google X and I had these other opportunities that seemed like more of a straight line path to where I wanted to go. And so it was very like, like you know, what do I do? And um, I think I reached out to a bunch of folks from CMG. Like, I think I talked mm -hmm. to like everybody that would have something to say. And uh, shout out to Alin. She was a really great career coach uh, during this process and helped me think through, you know, like, okay, what do I want to do now? What do I want to do next? Like, how does X connect to Y? And like, is there helping me reframe sort of my thinking around, around the process? I think ultimately it came, and I guess another point that I haven't made yet is that, you know, even when I was at Berkeley Lab, like we were citing a lot of McKinsey climate work. Like they, it's not like they don't have interest in or presence in the space. They, they totally do. And I saw them at COP26 as well. Virtually, I mean, and so I thought they were really. I think McKinsey is a really credible name in the in the climate space, and um, yeah, I mean, really, that was kind of just talked it through, and I came with the conclusion that thesis I mentioned earlier that okay, like this is an extension. I mean, this would be a great place to continue to grow, and I think I would grow faster, especially working on this skill set, which I'm like building towards, uh, I would grow faster in that consulting space than I would going directly to industry, even like a startup, uh, which is pretty fast paced by itself. In terms of like the first few uh, months have been like, so I've been there like less than two months now, but it's so I think when people think about, you know, consulting, they think, okay, you know, crazy work-life balance and meaning you don't have a work-life balance <laughs> and a lot of stress, a lot of demands, a lot of like type A people. And that has not been my experience at all so far. I say so far because you now I realize it's been two months. So like I'm totally waiting for the other shoe to drop. But so far, I think everybody's been great. I've met a ton of really smart and accomplished people who are also like very well versed uh, in the climate space, even like people coming in new. And so that was something I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting, I was expecting more like, you know, buttoned up business school types, but there's also a lot of people from industries, people from PhD mm. programs, people from less traditional backgrounds that, that I've met mm. in the firm that have been great. And then the people that I have met in general have also been um, really welcoming and really like, I think you, you might, I was kind of worried about like how competitive these places mm. uh, are in terms of like, you know, their reputation, you mm. might push bowl or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But um, that's not been my experience so far. I think folks have been really great. And I think there's a lot of, 
appetite to to work and to develop each other. And then there's also, I think, a lot of real credibility. And people are really out there talking about a lot of opportunities to work to work there. So I'm, I'm still excited. It's been honestly way better than I thought. And the work-life balance so far in the Frost has been like way better than I anticipated uh, going in. That's awesome. Yeah, David, as a tradition on the podcast, you know, we typically end the podcast with a, a lightning round. It's, it's been awesome to have you so far, but I'd love to do a lightning round if you'd be up for it. All right. So, uh, so just to close this out, you know, one of my favorite questions, what was one of your favorite places to eat at Berkeley? <laughs> oh, man, uh, I guess it's a lightning round. So I'll say Great China. Mm, nice. I think it really uh, depends, well, so, like, what level, like, now are we talking about lunch? Are we talking about... <laughs> what about, uh, <laughs> what, well, we were both evening weekend uh, MBA students, so for, in our experience, well, I guess we didn't have a, a ton of time to eat. If we had more time to eat, you know, let's say dinner, what would you recommend for folks? Yeah, so, like, the real answer is probably cafe thing, because that's mm. probably... <laughs> that's the only thing you're getting. Because it's, like, downstairs <laughs> and you don't have to walk. Uh, <laughs> But like, let's say you did want to walk. I like, I'm a fan of like a lot of stuff on Telegraph. I think that Taco Sinaloa mm. is like a, a favorite. Yeah, I'll fit it. Nice, nice. Uh, mix it up a little bit. What's one thing that you'll miss about the program? One thing that I'll miss is I think that people are really good about sharing resources, especially mm. in the program. For example, I know it's a lightning round, but I was uh, connected to the Climate Tech Cocktails event of mm. uh, mm. the... Uh, Steve Grizzly now has a marketing at Camus Energy. Uh, and that turned into me going, turned into me, Sneha, and Adriana hosting Climate Tech Cocktails on campus, mm -hmm. being you know, having hundreds of people there and having like billionaires retweet our events. So, <laughs> you know, this kind of crazy like serendipity, like, okay, I heard about a thing, I knew about a thing, and sharing that, that's something that I'm Yeah. Absolutely. Next question. What's one piece of personal or professional advice that you'd give to someone else, either in the program or outside of the program? Hmm. Yeah, I think I would say trust the process and follow your passion. Oh, that's a great one. And uh, last question, David, what's one thing that gets you excited about the future? One thing that gets me excited about the future? Well, I think, you know, I, I can be in a climate theme and podcast mm -hmm. a little bit. I think that I'm one of the, it feels like you, if you're like on energy Twitter, uh, like climate optimist out there. Mm. And I feel like there's just so much energy, attention, and capital in this space mm. that I think we're going to figure it out. I, I mm. think that the worst effects of climate change, you know, they still might happen, but you know, I, would, I would bet again, I'm optimistic that, uh, mm. you know, by 2100, uh, it's going to be better than a lot of the worst scenarios are. Yeah. Well, David, it's been great to have you on the show today. You know, me personally, I'm so excited for you and we just want to wish you all the best uh, in the future. Thanks so much, Chris. It's great to be here. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S.fm. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears.